How's it going, Veritas? Good. What's, uh, I would ask you what's been going on, but there'd be too many answers in such a short space of time. It'd be just a mumbo-jumbo. As you heard, my name is Matthew, and I have the opportunity to be the campus pastor in Urbana. And uh, it has been an awesome and a really awesome thing to be a part of. I'm particularly excited to hear that some kids from up there uh, saw Jesus for the first time. I mean, that's what it is about. And I mean, I think like when I went into this role as campus pastor, uh, I thought it'd be easy. And uh, there's just a lot of things, you know, you're just like, oh, this is what church is. And I like to shepherd people. And uh, there, you, there's a lot of other things besides shepherding people. So it's been a little bit of an adjustment, but just really grateful for the encouragement that we get from CR. Uh, my friends, many of you, and just the support that we get from this church. Uh, it's a pretty special way to do uh, a campus, um, to be a part, to have plurality, to be able to lean into one another, and then just see how God moved. Uh, we had the opportunity to baptize nine people in Urbana a few weeks ago, and so God's faithful. Yes, God is faithful, and um, and now these students uh, coming to faith in Jesus Christ at the the youth conference or youth camp, like, God is good. And so we want to spread that. I mean, we're on the same mission you are. We want to raise up mature disciples and we want to send them out as everyday missionaries to Coggin, to Troy Mills, to Center Point, to Walker, uh, to Vinton, and all the other areas that I've missed and see the fame of Christ spread. Not the fame of Veritas, but the fame of Christ. And that's what we're about and so it's been really exciting. Um, change is hard. I would appreciate your prayers. Um, my family has adjusted pretty well. I mean, it's primarily a block between 5 a.m. and noon on Sundays that our life has changed. We travel from our home uh, north to Urbana, and uh, but the worship has been really sweet and the connections have been really good. Um, our kids. Uh, wrote down kind of a pros and cons list. I mean, this is what happens when, like, you lean into faith. There, there are some things that just aren't going to add up. It's just not going to be the same. I don't know if you realized it, but it's it's hard to leave the downtown campus. And I just did it in February. A whole group of people did it last year. And so it, it takes some adjusting. You know, you're setting up your chairs. You're setting up your kids' wings. Kids' wing. And it, it's a lot of fun in some sense, but it's also difficult after a while. You're like, do we still need to do this? And it's like, yes. It's, it's for worship. So um, my kids and us, again, we wrote a pros and cons list, and we've seen God just like answer prayer, answer prayer, answer prayer, and that's been beautiful. And just as we grow as a church, um, pray for us in that we've been doing this for a year. So we celebrated a year on April 23rd. And, you know, year one, you're like, yes, this is awesome. I can't believe we're doing this. Adrenaline's pumping and all the things, right? And then year two is like, yes. Still have some adrenaline, but still have chairs to set up, and we're still in a school, which will be there for a while, um, but it wanes. And so we're just praying that that, you know, we sent out kind of a core group of people that the next group of people will jump in and buy in, not just to like set up, but as disciples, we want to raise up mature disciples. And so um, that's how you can be praying for us in Urbana this year. But God's been faithful. God has been faithful, and we are grateful, and God has been faithful to me personally and to my family, and grateful for you, grateful for the church, and just grateful for how God moves. So I'm excited. I mean, God has been faithful to us really throughout all of history. From Genesis 1-1 to 2023, God has been orchestrating, and God has been working something out, and we, we see that really in the life of Christ as well. It's not different 
It's not different how God moves and how God is faithful. And we see that in our text today. Like this whole series, The Life of Christ, is an example of how God is faithful. God worked and protected and moved through a people to provide us with Jesus Christ. And then God works in Jesus Christ to provide us with hope for a future. And he works through his church continuously transforming and shaping us in more into his image. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. So that being said, it's always important to remember that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. Okay, Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. Jesus Christ is God with us. Okay, and so when you think about a God coming to earth, it's probably not normal to think like, hey, let's do this in a baby. It'll be great. You know, they're full of power and strength. Like, they'll, they'll bring about change, right? Not really. And you realize at this time period, the Greeks are out there and they have their gods who are domineering and demanding worship. And the Romans have their gods, some of them who are their kings, their Caesars are their gods, and they're demanding worship, and they're taking control of areas, and they're dominating. And then you have Jesus. Jesus Christ, effectively born in a barn, to a simple couple, Mary and Joseph. You know, the wise men had it right when they showed up at the palace. They're like, hey, where is this king of the Jews, right? And they're like, "Uh, who are you talking about? And they're sent on to this little community, right? And then Jesus goes to Egypt, what? And then he goes to Nazareth, like Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Like he's not making the paper. He's not standing out. He's, it's not how it should be. And, And you see that Jesus Christ comes in the form of a human being. And in all the stories, you need to remember that. Like, if you have a view of God that he walked three inches off the ground, and he has this little halo, and his clothes are always clean and shiny, like, I don't think you're right. I don't think you're right. I think he can relate with you far more than you understand that he can. And I want to show you some of that even today as we go into... Matthew chapter 4. Like, we see the Jews, like, the Jews had an issue with this, too. Like, we always give them a really hard time. I give them a hard time, at least. And, but you're like, again, like, this is the king. This is the creator of the whole entire universe. Come as a baby. And that, you know, babies, they can be demanding. You know, they demand in a little bit less powerful way. They just scream at you. Uh, you know, scream at you at 4 a.m. They're awesome, right? And they demand food. They demand that they get back to their crib. They demand things from you. But they don't stand up with a sword and say, You, food, now. (laughs) Test it to make sure you haven't poisoned it. They they don't do that. And Jesus Christ comes in a humble form. It's almost like a form that we can relate to. He experienced helplessness. He experienced weakness. And in our text today, he experiences hunger. Like things that we can relate to, things that we we can engage with. It's like God of the universe perhaps seems a little bit distant. Like I can't relate. Like you are holy. You are above all else. And I'm over here. Then you have Jesus coming in and Jesus coming in and experiencing that helplessness of a baby. I think about a baby all the time. I don't really think about a baby all the time. That was weird. Uh, But when I think about a baby, I think about the need, right? That need for like, hey, 
get that spoon over here. I'll eat it. And then I'll move my head and I'll get it all over my face, right? I mean, that's a baby, like helpless. Then they start raising their little hands. Chubby fingers, so cute. My kids are all at camp this week. And I'm like, my wife and I are like, did I just hear my heart beating? What is going on? What was that sound? Like we are so used to it, right? And you see your kids, you know, you grow and they go through stages of helplessness. Stages where it reveals that they just don't have the strength to do what they want to do, right? And this is our God. Come to earth to relate with us. And so you've heard perhaps the phrase like Jesus has walked a mile in your shoes. And in some sense, that's right. God has walked a mile in your shoes. He's not separated. He's not on his throne only in heaven just demanding that you do stuff for him. He says, I'm going to send my son to show you an example of what I want of you. And so we have the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which bear testimony of the life of Jesus Christ. And so Matthew is primarily maybe engaging with the Jews, and he's saying, like, guys, this is your Messiah. This is the Christ, the Son of God. In fact, John says in his gospel, these things are written, these stories, these testimonies are written so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he's introducing this this baby, this person, that carpenter's son, like, He's no ordinary son. He's the son of God. And so Jesus has come into the world in such a weird way. Just not normal that kingship comes in. I mean, certainly kings are babies at some point. But you don't see them as authoritative, as king of the whole entire world. Authority giver. Baby. Right? So we see that here. And so in this text, we talk about Jesus being tempted. Okay, and so the question that I want to ask us as we enter into this time of study about the temptation of Jesus is what do you do when you're tempted? Like, what do you do when your kids are back from camp and they're full of energy and you want to spend some time watching YouTube? Maybe that's too personal, but, and they're being noisy, right? And you're tempted to get angry, okay? Maybe, again, this is more about me than it is about you. How do you respond when you're tempted to grab control of a situation and make it work or make it go better or provide the safety that is needed, what do you do when you're tempted to grab control of a situation? How do you engage? How do you respond? How do you act? And I want to do something here. If you're a child of the 80s and 90s, the greatest years of the universe, um, you were probably heard the, the motto for a for a drug situation called just say, uh, right? And so oftentimes I think when we come to talking about temptation, we kind of think of it in that sense, right? A bad guy approaches me and he offers me drugs and I say, no, and I just run away. Now, that is not a bad response, okay? Like run away from drugs, okay? That's extra. I hope you tithe more. All right. Um, That's not a bad response, too. But like sin is so much more than drugs. Okay, and I'm not trying to lower your view of drugs and alcohol and adultery, kind of the top five. I'm trying to raise your view of what sin is to that anger when you want to control to that bitterness that's welling in your heart. Right. God has a plan and a purpose for you in everything. 
And in some way, it's become twisted in your heart, and you're holding on to these things. You're choosing to fall into the temptation, right? That's how it looks. It's not just raging. It's not just punching holes in walls. It's not just radical public public addiction. It's subtle. For many of us in this room, we have no problems with practical mega addiction. But we sure like to hide our anger. We sure like to hide our anxiety. We sure like to play those things out. And the question stands, what do you do? What do you do when tempted? What do you do when you feel like you're losing control? And the the message that I want to build for you is that when temptation comes, fight it with what is written. When temptation comes, fight it with what is written. Okay, And we have this perfect example in Jesus Christ. So if you haven't, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And I want to start in verse 1. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And I think what we like to do is we like to separate Jesus again, right? We have this picture. He's three inches off the ground. He's got a halo. And he's just got this smooth face. And man, it's a, it's a story, yeah, and sure, right? When you talk about temptation, Jesus didn't have the internet. He didn't have Chevy pickups. Uh, he didn't have a wife and he didn't have children. But in these things, Jesus Christ displays trust in who God is. Trust in the plan of God. He felt these things. He's all human, remember? And so Jesus Christ has been baptized in chapter 3. He's identified with the mission and calling of God to be set apart from the world. And immediately afterward, like remember the dove, the dove comes down and anoints him in a sense. And then you have this voice from heaven, the father saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Okay, this has been an epic moment in the ministry of Jesus Christ or in the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He is set apart. He is the son of God. He is the lamb of God, the promised one, the Messiah. And after that epic experience, it says in 4.1, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Did I read that right? He did. Jesus Christ was led by the Spirit to be tempted. Who is Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ in the world but not of the world? Is Jesus Christ going to follow the Lord? Is Jesus going to trust his Father with the plan that they had made before the foundations of the world? Well, we're going to see this. This tempting, this testing by the devil is going to happen. And he's, he's let it. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. In fact, a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 6, there's this Lord's Prayer. Some of you have memorized it. And in verse 13 of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says to pray, And lead us not into temptation or testing, but deliver us from evil. Like God is leading us down the path. God is shaping us. God is transforming us into the image of his son. And with that comes areas of darkness and temptation that are going to be around us. Are we going to stand or are we going to cave? And this isn't the first time he's done it. If you go to the book of Judges, chapter 3. I'm just going to read a couple chapters from the book of Judges. It says this in Judges chapter 3, verse 1. Now, these are the nations that Yahweh left to test Israel by them. What? 
That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars of Canaan. Then I'm going to jump to verse 4. Context is important. Like, go back here and read more, okay? But for the sake of my point, go to verse 4. They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of Yahweh, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. God had called them to a promised land, and he says, clear this place out. And Israel's like, well, I mean, ah, war. Like, are you kidding me? Like, we've done a lot of war. Like, like, let's not. And so there's these things that God, Scripture now says, have been set, that have been left there as a test, as a temptation to the people of Israel. This is the chosen people of God. And when tested by the Jebusites, the Hivites, the, all the ites that were there, present, right, they fall. They look at their own people. They're called to be set apart. And they're like, I want a wife from them. Like, God, you're, you're not really providing what I need. So I'm going to go outside your plan. It'll be, I'll find love. And I'll be happy. I mean, I'll be happy. I'll just do this. And it'll be great. God, you don't need to prepare a woman from the people of Israel. I'll just, I'll just take this shortcut. And they fall. In fact, not only do they take the women and some of the things from these other cultures, but they take their gods as well. God, I don't think you're providing rain. I'm going to pray to this God. They seem to be getting rain over there. And slowly they, they fail at this testing. They fail with the people that they have left. They haven't obeyed the Lord. And so God has led them there and it has revealed their heart. Let's go to the New Testament. If you want to go to James chapter 1. James 1 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, testing, temptations of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This picture of the Spirit leading you into temptation is for your growth. It's for your growth. Now, Jesus didn't have an issue with sin. But nonetheless, as a man, 100% man, 100% God, he is God, he was tempted in ways like we are tempted. It's going to help him stand apart in his ministry. God is showing us that he's not just up in the clouds demanding things of us. He walked through them at one point in time. So let's read more about what's happening here in Matthew chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Okay. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Personal story. I can barely make it 40 minutes without eating a cookie. 40 hours, 40 days. Medical people tell us that much past 40 days and then you're going to create damage to the human body. And Jesus Christ did this. So you imagine the, the stress that's on his body. I'm a cyclist. And there's times where we go for a long ride and you bonk. You want to keep food going into your body because when you bonk or hit the wall, you get hangry, very hangry, okay? 
and you start lashing out at things that don't even need to be lashed out at because your, your body is like, we need sustenance here. You can't keep putting out and not putting anything in. And it's, it's a weak, it's a vulnerable spot to be in. And Jesus Christ has fasted for 40 days. And in his weakness, right, what does it say there? The tempter came. At his weakest moment, the tempter came. And it sounds so much like Genesis chapter 3. Like Eve and Adam are out in the garden. Eve's hanging out. Serpent comes up and's like, did God really say you shouldn't eat of this tree? If you are the son of God, I mean, you're the stone maker, right? What can you do for bread? Make these stones into bread. And there's an issue for all of us, as it was right there for Jesus, is that there was a practical need that Satan was using to tempt Jesus Christ. I will never be tempted with bread after fasting 40 days. But I want things. I want things that maybe I shouldn't have or maybe I shouldn't have them now. I want things to work out for me. Can we just make this work? Work your magic. Your sovereign Lord. Or do I I need to step in here? This happened with Abraham and Sarai in the Older Testament. An angel came and said, next year you're going to have a son. And they're like, that's crazy. And nothing happened and nothing happened. Or they were promised a child, right? And it's actually more than a year. But they're like, you know what? God isn't going to do this, so let's do this. Take my servant Hagar. Take this shortcut. We'll help God's promises be real. Right? Satan whispers this plan like, you can be full. You made the stones. What can you do for bread? And Satan attacks him. The devil attacks him in his weakness with a very practical situation. And that's how often temptation comes to us. But how does Jesus Christ respond? Because the issue here is hunger and bread, it seems like. And Jesus quotes scripture to him. If you look at verse 4, it says, But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. But Jesus, you're hungry, and you need bread, and so I'm, where's the mouth of God? And where are his words? Just drop them into my mouth, like I need food. Where's the mouth of God? Like, what are these things too? And, and the reality in this thing is like, God has given truth to Jesus Christ. Like, Jesus, from Adam and Eve, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to King David, Through the prophets, like, I have made a way for you. Do you think I'm going to kill you in the wilderness? Is this where the plan ceases? God has ordained a plan for Jesus Christ. And it comes to the crux of, like, we can get bread quick. It can be easy. You don't need to be in misery anymore. Here's an exit plan. Here's an exit strategy. You can't healthily do this much longer. Get bread. And he tempts him in a very practical sense. Perhaps you're tempted, like, get the raise. Do what you got to do. Get your kid in the game. Do what you got to do. It's practical. 
I think a lot of us think Satan's going to come up in his red suit with his horns and his tail and poke you. Eh. But it's subtle. He's no fool to be played with. This isn't about bread and starvation. This is about worship. And some of us are falling to temptation, not trusting that God can provide for our needs. Some of us are doubting the fact that God can provide. And so the first audience that hears this, the Jews, they're like, we were in Egypt. We were brought out of Egypt. We passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. We were led into the wilderness by the spirit, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And they came to a place where they were very hungry, right? When you're let, let out of slavery, like you're given a ration. And here they're in the wilderness and they're like, how do I feed my kids? Like a really good question. Are we just out here to die? And when they were faced with temptation, they whined and they complained. And Jesus Christ, when faced with temptation, leans in to the fact that God is not going to kill him in the wilderness. Church, God is not going to kill you in the wilderness. He hasn't brought you to this place to make you go mad. Don't fall to that temptation. God is working something through. So let's go to Matthew 4, verse 5. The devil takes a different route. Plan B. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. It's almost like the devil took a clue, right? I mean, oh, you're going to quote it as written, huh? Well, I've got a Bible verse for you. So let's go to the Bible verse, Psalm 91. I wonder if David knew he was going to use it like this. But the devil says, quotes from this text, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, nor plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him. Because he knows my name. You see, Satan doesn't necessarily even pervert that scripture. But he desecrates it. He misuses the text against Jesus Christ. And Jesus answers back with, it is written. You see, temptation comes to us as doubt. Like, have I fallen? Like, am I at a place right now? Like, my ankle hurts, Jesus. You have allowed me to fall against the stone. Like, in you, I took refuge. Where are you? Where are you, Father? Where are you, sovereign God? Some of us test God in this. Has God abandoned me? And Jesus Christ is there. He's hungry. He's in a wilderness, separated from everything. And he knows the biblical truth. I mean, do you think he doesn't know Psalm 91? That's no big deal. But it's interesting, his response to this, he quotes Deuteronomy verse chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, Jesus said to him again, it is written. 
It is written in the scriptures. All scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, training, and correcting in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped to do good works. The temptation is there like, where is your God? We can draw him out. Jump. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. God had a purpose and a plan for Christ. And should harm have befallen him, God would have redeemed. God would have worked through. This was not the plan. Jesus doesn't take the shortcut to show his father. How many of us are stuck with this plan wondering, where are you, God? I thought you were going to be with me. I thought you were going to care for me. The question comes better in relationship, but but the question stands. Are we testing the Lord, waiting for him to show up? When he has shown up. If you remember last week, Jake referenced Romans chapter 5, that while I was still in sin, Christ died for me. That's him showing up, Christian. You might be in the valley of the shadow of death and God is there. There is no place that you will go, no hardship that you will face that God is not present. Don't test him. He's present. You're not alone. Don't wallow. Lean into the fact that he's shaping you, that he's building your trust in who he is. There's a second part of this text that's interesting too. Again, Satan twists the scriptures. I think of health, wealth, and prosperity. Like if I follow Jesus, life will be awesome. My bank account will be awesome. My marriage will be great. It will be fun. And we're reading about Jesus Christ led into the wilderness by the spirit of God for testing. At the end, he dies on a cross. Wrap your head around that. God is going to shape. God is going to lean into you. God is going to push for your holiness. Not necessarily your happiness. At the end of the day, at the end of this journey that includes temptation, that includes trial, that includes testing, you're going to come out and say, he is worth it. These momentary afflictions are preparing you for an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, do not lose heart, church. But go into the trial that you're facing. Go into the circumstance you're facing and say, what is God teaching me? And be aware that the tempter will come to you in your weakness and be like, I can get you out of this. If we just talk to so-and-so, we talk to so-and-so, like, we'll make the move for you. You don't need this job. It's hard. Your coworkers, they're jerks. You don't need to work on your patience. You don't need to work on your kindness. You don't need to work on your trust. We can work on HR together. You don't need to lean into your Lord. Where is he? Satan comes in in our weakness and he tempts us. And Jesus warns us, like, don't put your God to the test. You're not the person that he has fallen asleep on. 
I need that reminder regularly in my life. I am not the person that slipped through his hands. He's got me. Don't buy into these lies. Don't buy in when temptation perverts scripture and gives you a softball. Be faithful. Follow God. Lean into the scriptures. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. It says this. Again, third time's a charm, right? The devil takes him up to this high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. So there's this picture in a moment of time. Jesus and the devil pass through time. They see all these kingdoms, right? And they see their glory, their impact on the whole entire world in a moment. And Satan, as if he has authority, right? I mean, in John, it references him as the prince of the world right before it's taken away from him. But he, he says it, right? And so in his dream of control of everything, he offers it. And I think he really gets down to the point. He gets down to the point of his conversation with Jesus Christ, and he gets down to the point of what temptation is. Temptation is worship something other than God. And this is where I think we separate our spiritual life from our daily life. And hear me, when Matthew Morkin is sitting on his keister in his family room and doesn't want to be disturbed by kids who are playing, and God is sovereign, and God is Lord, and God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins and save me from my wickedness and unrighteousness, when I lash out at them, I'm not worshiping him. I need a savior. When I cave to my pride and my comfort, right? I mean, a lot of us, like, we like to talk about alcohol, like to talk about porn, like to talk about adultery. All those things are bad. But anger, control, comfort, bitterness, rage, doesn't have to be punching a hole in the wall. We're religious people, right? We hide it better than that. They're sinful. When the Satan says, if you just like get control, you can get it by lashing out. You can get it by manipulating. We can solve this problem. You're rejecting God. When the Lord says to me, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And Satan says, I can numb your pain. It's at high V. Let's go. It's a challenge to our worship. And Satan cuts to the chase here like, Jesus, worship me. All these kingdoms, like, let's give up this religion thing. We can just have it all right now. We can just have it all. It'll be easy. I mean, would Satan have actually lost if Jesus would have worshiped? They would have been on the same team. I don't think the temptations are about bread. I don't think the temptations are about hunger. I don't think the temptations are about the glory of the nations or jumping off the temple. I think the temptations are about, is God trustworthy? If you don't control your children, can God sovereignly ordain their steps at college? 
Jesus is stepping into the world and he's not being of the world. Jesus is facing the temptations of the world just like they will. And his father is seated on the throne. Your children, they will face the temptations of this world and God will be seated on his throne. Your health, God is actually, he's on his throne. And the world will tempt you to fear and tempt you to regret and tempt you to say, where are you, God? And we see it here in Christ. Worship me. Temptation and testing are an opportunity to see who you worship. At the heart of temptation is worship, right? So how does Jesus respond to this third and final ask by Satan? Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. Like, don't see Jesus and Satan, the devil, as, as like brothers. That's incorrect, okay? Separate teams, right? Don't see them as like, as the devil's not as powerful as Jesus. Like, there's no argument here. You can go to the book of Job. You can go into 1 Peter. There's no argument who's going to win this. Revelation, remember that series? God wins. Satan is permitted to, and then God draws him back. Satan is permitted to, and then God draws him back. There's one Lord who is absolutely in control, both in the time and era of Jesus Christ and in your life. And nothing will happen that's outside his plan. And so when God, when Jesus says, go, Satan's like, I'm out, see ya. And he leaves, right? Satan leaves immediately. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him, right? Where is the bread? Jesus, you make bread. Well, here at the end, the angels come. God had a purpose and a plan in the life of Jesus Christ. And the devil didn't change the plan. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And the devil can't change the plan. To us... We read in James chapter 4, verses 7, and part of verse 8, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The answer to fighting temptation is drawing near to God, knowing what he says about you. When the devil or your hardened heart fill you with doubt, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm alone. I'm in the wilderness. No one cares. God doesn't even care. Where has he been? When the devil puts a doubt into your mind, answer it with the truth of Scripture. It is written, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The Old Testament is full of a story of God's faithfulness to lost people, to stubborn people, to rebellious people, to faithful people. To people who had questions, it's a story, it's full of it, over and over again. God is faithful, God is faithful, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lean into these truths of God's word as temptation hits you. So where are you at in temptation? How do you respond? Again, I'm not talking about raging going off into a radical addiction. Like, how is your silent bitterness doing? 
How is your manipulation factor working out? How have you used these temporary things to try to find some peace which Jesus Christ openly offers to you? How has your response mechanism or practice displayed the lordship of God? That God is on his throne, that he loves you and has a purpose and plan for you, or hasn't it? And this is where we recognize that we're not Jesus Christ. Certainly, Jesus Christ was tempted and he perfectly responded, glorifying the Father, leaning into the Father, loving the Father's words. We don't know all the Father's words. We struggle with weakness. And again, when Satan comes up, even twisting good scriptures, some of us fall. But it is because Jesus Christ experienced these things, because he came to earth for us, that we can confess our sin and repent of areas where we took shortcuts, where we leaned into temptation rather than leaning into truth. Church, we fight temptation by leaning into the words that have been written. We fight temptation by remembering and practicing the reality that God is faithful, that he never leaves or forsakes that he is working things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Never forget that. Never forget that when anger wants to cross the line. Never forget that when you're paralyzed in fear. And I'll talk to you a little bit about that, okay? Practically, fear. Matthew Morgan gets afraid. When I'm going to preach, I get afraid on Thursday, okay? Thursdays. I don't understand it. But I'm scared I'll wear the wrong shoes, probably show up just in my underwear, all the things, right? That's I just get paralyzed in ridiculous fear. And so what I go to when I'm afraid is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. It says this. I've said this thousands of times to myself. Rejoice in the Lord, not in my fear. All those scary people, they're going to be mean to me. Rejoice in the Lord. Always, again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. God, I'm scared. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, when I say it, it doesn't mean like, yeah, I'm not nervous anymore. But you know what Philippians 4 tells me about God? He is at hand. My feelings are still telling me, but there's going to be a whole bunch of scary people. They'll probably hate you. You'll probably show up in two different pairs of shoes. And it keeps telling me, but Philippians 4 is truth. Philippians 4 is truth. And my feelings need to wrap around that truth, that God will be there. And the temptation is, he probably won't be. He's probably going to be sleeping in this Sunday. But that is not the character of who God is. He will be present. He will be active. The spirit will move. Just like he says he is. Feelings, wrap yourself around that. Because that is true. That is real. His word is more real than any feeling I've ever felt. 
His word is consistent and true and can help us fight temptation. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for Veritas Church. God, I'm thankful for how your spirit has moved and worked here. God, you have been faithful. God, the world offers us so many temptations, so many shortcuts. God, that will tickle our ears and help us feel good. God, I pray that we as a church would lean into you. One, that we would know you. God, that we would read this letter that you have written to us about you. God, and that we would use these terms, that we'd believe these terms, Father. Give us faith to believe that you care about the anxious. God, you care about the angry. God, help us remember that we do win in the end, but we can win now because of what you have done. Help us walk in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.